such a foreign experience of uh, discomfort, loss, just trauma. I always use the word carry on, like not move on, but you know, we're carrying this and we're going to keep moving forward. It's like straight up like emotional warfare. It ends up making you stronger in the most screwed up kind of way. Welcome to Mothers of Held Angels, or as we say, MOHA. We are three dedicated and passionate moms who have lost babies to stillbirth and infant death. We formed a support group to help get through the dark days of grief. We touch on a variety of topics relating to life after loss, speak with experts, and enjoy healing conversations based on our own experiences. Don't forget to visit our website at www.mohanetwork.org for more information. And thank you for listening in. As the book of Matthew says, you are not alone here. All right, so let's go ahead and start. So my name is Mike Wynn. I'm the uh, guest host for the Moha podcast, and uh, my held angel is Madison Gray. So I'll turn it over to Jeff. Yeah, my name is Jeff Noto. My held angel is Lillian Bell, and Lillian was 36 weeks um, when we lost her and moving on to Justin. Uh, my name is Justin Keith, um, Holland's husband. My held angel is James Carter Keith. My, my name's uh, Christopher Kemp. I'm Brittany's uh, husband. My held angel is Eden Grace. All right. So let's set the stage here. So we're uh, in a uh, office. We're um, my old office. Your old office. <laughs> that guy commandeered. It's now the Mohawk headquarters. headquarters. That was my first donation. And recording (laughs) studio. And the recording studio, yeah. And the warehouse and inventory room. And uh, we just had a good dinner and kind of jump into this. What we want to do is uh, kind of help, you know, the the, the goal or the mission is to to help other fathers of loss and uh, just to kind of hear some of the experiences that, you know, we all have, have had, find a way to share that and do it in a real and, and raw fashion. Right, guys? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. No, no, no coerced answers here. Unfiltered, so. not rehearsed. Uh, we're just going to have a conversation. We're going to ask some questions. We'll see, we'll see where the conversation takes us. Yeah, that sounds good. All right. So let's start with the first question. What do you wish that you would have heard from another dad of loss during your first days of loss? Well, just the how powerful it is, uh, traumatic. You know, my job as a husband, what at the time was soon to be father, was to protect, comfort. Um, you know, in my my opinion, those are those are my two main jobs. You know, you, sometimes you feel like there's just not much that I can. I can do besides comfort because, you know, the protection at the time is uh, outside of my control. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm sure we could talk like for two days about this, but you know, a a lot of it is being the dad. There were times where you, you feel like a stranger, you know, where you're in that zone of, I don't know what to say. What, what can I say? And I'm not like a super emotional guy to begin with. So a lot of mine was just really using like sales tools, just sitting back and like, let me, let me hear how she thinks about this, that, and the other, you know? So it just ended up being where I didn't want to say something wrong. And so I got to where I wouldn't say something and then it just kind of came off cold. So, you know, I think if somebody was standing there in that time, it would just be, you know, it's okay to talk. Some things were naturally going to come off that are, upsetting to her but I got to where like I didn't want to upset her so I didn't say anything and I think it it kind of you know it also has a negative thing because then you just don't end up saying anything so I, I, I think you know just somebody telling hey you're both in this but you're you're gonna feel like the outsider like it's okay you know it's okay to talk you know be, be in the moment and, and like you said be supportive and because it's a long journey and that first day is, you know, I mean, it seems like forever ago, you know, so, yeah. 
Go ahead, Jeff. A couple things come to mind for me. One of the things that's always stuck with me, and I talked about it on one of the first podcasts, but when you're in the hospital going through it all, Anna had a C-section. I know everybody's situation's a little different, but to me, there was a lot of just weirdness and newness to the whole thing. It was like, you know, what's appropriate to do? What you're you're in the labor and delivery room and you're just sitting there like, you know, you know, there's the baby on the on the table over there. Like, do I is it appropriate or is it okay to go over there and and look? And there's a lot of that just like over the next forty eight hours you're just everything is just so weird. There was a couple of times when a nurse you kinda of look at the nurse like, is this what am I supposed to do? Or is this like weird or what you know, that sort of thing and it was always nice when the nurse was like, yeah, absolutely, you know, do what you would do. And so I think, I think just telling somebody like, there's going to be a lot of weirdness, there's going to be a lot of newness, but it's all okay. You know, everybody that's been through it has experienced it and whatever you feel like you need to do, whatever, just, there's a lot of it there and you're not alone in that feeling of what's weird or what's not. And then the other thing, you know, I think everybody learns it. Um, I think it's brought up pretty early on, but just men and women grieve differently and I cried here and there and I cried a lot they process it differently than we do and that's kind of more of a long-term thing but it's okay not to cry it's okay to cry like however you have to process it you know everybody's unique but also men and women are too so understanding that your wife's processing it different than yourself and vice versa I would probably say that's the biggest thing it's hard is um I think I cried once it was pretty good but it was almost like, I think to guys, just in general, we have reset buttons, right? Like we, like a, like a old voice machine, you know, it's just ding, you know? Yeah. You know, I'm from a family. We really don't ever talk about anything. And so everybody's always okay. So we just don't talk about things and we just sweep it on the rug. But it's in this situation where you're like, that flew in the past because it was you, but because you have the significant other, like that can't happen this time. I think this is going to be more meaningful for the for the guy that's mid twenties, you know, that's not that's not forty and have have been with their significant other for years, and and that's one of the reasons why it was when Brittany brought this up, I was like, man, I don't feel like doing this, but it was like, you know, if that guy hears it and he's twenty three and maybe newly married, and if it saves like their marriage, even us being married for as long as we have, like we, we got to get real, real fast or this is going to turn south because there are a lot of days where she was like, you don't care. And I'm like, that's not, I don't care. I just know how I process it. I might go ride 20 miles in the woods. Like that's my gig. But yeah, I mean, make, making sure you're there for them and, and that you know, you know, it's okay to tell them like, look, I might not show this externally, but it doesn't mean that I don't feel it. You know, you just may not see that. Yeah. My my experience was, I think, similar to some of you all. You know, I, I, I probably had a couple of good cries. I think seeing and experiencing and, and just watching how helpless I was during the process, you know, while she was going through, you know, delivery and all that. And then the aftermath of kind of navigating that, right? Like being the, the person that's supposed to protect you know, your family and being the the support and being strong and then figuring out how do I process this and then still be there so that she gets everything that she needs. Right. So it's, it's tough. I mean, like you said, it, you know, everyone grieves differently and the way that you grieve and the way that you, you show that outwardly is different. We don't necessarily sit and talk about our feelings or, you know, go through those things. So, um, it, and it's hard, it's, it's, it's hard to get and navigate from a relationship standpoint, from a survival and recovery standpoint, you know? So there's, there's a lot that needs to happen there too. Well, you said something interesting is cause you, as a guy, you're taught strength 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 strong you're not supposed to cry as a boy blah, blah. and then you get married and of course they watch rom-coms and they expect this guy that's like super handy but like also super emotional which that guy doesn't exist um, and so you're you're strong 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 but then 
people want you to be vulnerable, which it's like, oh, well, we'll turn that off. All the stuff that I've always liked, turn that off because I want to see you super emotional. And I remember telling Brittany, like, I would have to play that part for you. Like, I, don't, it, I would almost have to act it out because I, I'm just not like that. And I, I've never been like that. Didn't cry at my grandfather's funeral. Like, it's just, I teared up when the Saints won the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? So it's like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't manufacture things for others' benefits, which I wish I could sometimes. I think that would have helped me in that process. But learning how to communicate that without the outward stuff helped tremendously, you know, so and and I, I would say you know just thinking I say this to to her and I kind of say this to myself too. It's just thinking about this podcast. You be you, right? I mean, how you grieve, you be comfortable with that, and you be you, right? So if if you feel a certain way about sharing or you know being strong and holding it in, you have to navigate through that. But the way to grieve for yourself is that's your journey. You know that's what you need to go through and. You know, she had a different path and a different way to, to show that. And, you know, at some point you have those conversations and you kind of help each other. But, you know, for, for any guy that's listening that, that might be going through something like this, you know, at the same time, it's you, you're, you're going to need to find your own way to grieve and it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think just for Holland and I's situation, you know, I felt like I, at least at the time of the initial when we lost Carter, I felt like I wanted to be, you know, the strong sort of support there for Holland because, you know, we stayed in the hospital for, for several, several weeks um, prior to losing him. And it was um, it was very sudden, as many people's situations are, and uh, super traumatic. I ended up sort of pushing feelings down. It was just so such a foreign experience of uh, discomfort, loss, just trauma. And so then, you know, at some point you just get more comfortable shoving feelings, you know, down as opposed to dealing with them, I guess. And I feel like I'm probably still in that same situation, you know, six years later. But I did feel like at the time that was the most important thing was was to be there for my wife and to be that uh, someone she could lean on. And absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of times where you're like the engineer in me, it's you're, you're balancing an equation. It's what I felt like sometimes where it's like you come in. It's a great day. You're pretty happy. And you could tell your wife's been crying like all day. And the selfish part's like, oh, God, like really? Like I see where this is going. It's, it's like balancing that equation of when they're in that zone, all you can do is try to, especially if you have kids, I, I'm not super emotional or like bubbly, but like I'll be a bubbly dude today to like counterbalance the abyss that you're in right now. You know, like that's my goal to the guys listening. It, you're going to realize sometimes when you're when you're trying to balance out that equation, that the equation's unbalanceable to where I've like foolishly used the word um, exhausted one day because I was just like, I'm exhausted. Like I'm exhausted. This is ex- exhausting to me, you know, because it was like I'm making facial expressions. So, you know, see what I'm doing, <laughs> but, but, you know, it's it's. You're trying to, uh, what's it, like uh, your motorcycle riding, you're, you're counter-steering, you know, that, that, that 90's coming and you're at, at 80. Trying to, to balance that out, you get sometimes where, man, I've, I've, I've picked up all of this and I'm just tired. You do you, I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm here. But just, just be honest on the days that, you know, some days I'll just say, look, I'm going to go work on the bike. I'm going to go fix my derailleur or whatever's, you know, just to go tinker because I'm, I'm just spent and and it, it's okay to be spent. What I found is if I just go outside and I'm zoned out for like a day, that was a big deal versus me saying, hey, I'm at my limit. Like I just need to go tinker on something. And she's like, I get it. That made like all the difference in the world of just her knowing like, hey, he deals with it certain ways. And that, that's a good segue into the next question, kind of healing and the differences. So when did you all begin to see kind of a light of healing and how was it different from your spouse? Hmm. I don't know. As a, as a guy, you can almost see the light of healing immediately. Uh, uh, I'm just going to interject real quick. We have a bottle of uh, Old Forester <laughs> on the table that we've been sipping on for a little bit. So for those that heard the pour <laughs> and the ice clinks, that's what we're... This is how on. guys deal with their problems. <clears throat> yeah. But yeah, I mean, almost immediately in the hospital. And I think the first signs is like the first time you crack a smile or you crack a joke or something like that. And uh, we were fortunate to have some 
family in the hospital room with us. And there were these moments of levity where, you know, the first time I saw Anna laugh, uh, we were still in the hospital. And I think Chris used the word abyss earlier as a, as you're in that abyss or that chasm of just like the deepest valley you've been in, seeing the smile or hearing that laugh, some laughter in the room is, I think it's the first sign of, okay, we can get through this. If we can, if somebody can laugh and crack a joke, and I know every family's different, every person's different, but for me, that was kind of the first sign of, of healing and obviously the start of it down the road it, it you start like counting the days that you're not crying all day long or not you but you see your wife isn't crying for 12 hours she's crying for 10 hours and you start seeing just little signs of improvement and one of our big things was initially it was take it hour by hour and then it was take it morning to night and then it was day to day and then week to week so you, you start having these longer periods of I don't want to call them good stretches but for lack of a better word you have these longer periods of stretches that are less depressing I guess and, and just you know happier I think for myself and I think for Holland too I think uh, you know we we leaned on our faith quite a bit especially initially and continue to because at some point it's it's hard to it's it's easy to I think to become uh, quite hopeless um, I think especially from Holland's standpoint something about the difference of uh, the way guys handled things and and the way women handled things is especially in this situation is because you know she she carried uh, Carter the whole time she was in the hospital for weeks and weeks you know by herself while I went to work and you know, so it's it's a much more uh, difficult thing for her to deal with and to cope with um, compared to me, just because it's uh, it's continuous, it's always there. Whereas it's not not the case. But I think uh, without uh, faith and without knowing, you know, that that in in our opinion um, that we'll see you know Carter again, um, it, it's it would be quite easy to lose uh, hope. Because it is, it is a, a, a very dark time. Without something else to hang on to, it could become even worse. In my opinion, uh, faith is you know all we had there for a while. And I think, honestly, um, after we had uh, my son Connor, you know, in, in the pregnancy and the angst uh, throughout that pregnancy, and you know, we had him and he was happy and, and healthy. And and then following with my my daughter Hannah, I don't think she or I. Uh, will ever be over it but you know you continue continually get stronger and kind of thankful for what you have now as opposed to to being quite as negative you brought up a good point so i think the other important thing is where was the where was the child in order of like loss so to me because we had two boys already i felt like real quick i don't i don't want these little guys neglected because our sadness and so i wonder if like people that don't have kids. Like, I wonder if those people have a little longer to kind of like, hey, how do we feel? Versus like, I came home and I was like, look, you can be as sad as you want, but my dudes, they're here. Like, like I don't want them to suffer because we're extremely sad. You know what I mean? So like, I was I was constantly kind of having to like up the game. But at the same time, I could only see as long as it took us to get pregnant, if she would have lost the first one. Even that difference in the variables would just be tragic. To where, because honestly, I, I mean, I was like, the boys are like lotteries. We won that lottery twice. Like we weren't supposed to have them. Took forever. This happened. It's horrible. But we have these two, you know, miracles, basically. You know, to get back to the question was the the first time I remember thinking like, okay, we're going to be okay was um, we didn't do anything the year of, of course, and COVID and her and we splurged and went to St. Thomas just getting away getting down there in the sun and the boys. And it's the first time I remember thinking, oh my God, it's like the first time I remember hearing her like laugh and have a good time and just cutting up, being in the moment. I don't know if we, I mean, I'm sure we talked about her a little bit there, but it was probably something small. Like I can only imagine what swimsuit she'd be wearing or something, you know, something. And I just remember thinking like, okay, we've weathered the hurricane. Like there's still going to be some flash floods somewhere, but like, Cause man, for a minute there, I was like, "Am I gonna take a second job? Like, can she go back to work? Like, 
Like, I, I was terrified. I was like, she's like, she's gone. The woman that I married is not that woman. It was, it was pretty spooky because it's, are we in this for the long run? And, and you know, people are like, oh, you know, time heals. And, you know, that's great. But when you're a month in, man, that, sh- that shit looks like a hundred years away. And I remember being down there in the sun and her cutting up and just being like, man, it's so nice to see you smile. Like genuinely laugh, have a good time. Honestly, I think that was only possible just getting the hell away, you know? So if you're listening, just dude, take a vacation somewhere, get away from triggers, refresh. I think the one thing that this has brought about is I've never really thought too much about what I'm going to say. And after this, you really kind of got to watch. Watch what you say. I still get in trouble with some of the shit that I say. I got to be honest really? with you. No way. Oh, yeah. No way. Well, you know, the Mississippi. Shocking. Means, you know, yeah. Go on to the next question. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, your answer is, is good for me to hear because for listeners, and mine's probably the most recent. Violet and I experienced our loss in December of 2021. So if I look at this question and I look at through our lens, I think we're still in that early healing stage and it's difficult, but you know, I hear definitely got, you know, more faith and and getting closer to, to the faith and how we handle that together and then taking it day by day, hour by hour, sometimes minute by minute. And just being there to, to get through some of that hopelessness and some of the emotions and the, the first that we're having. I mean, every holiday, every, um, yeah. you know. The you know, first. It's yeah. the first. And like you said, I mean, it, we're both different people than we were prior to December for us. And it's almost learning each other again how to how to live life how to survive how to get through these first i think that you know we're on a on the path to to kind of heal and i always use the word carry on like not move on but you know we're carrying this and we're gonna keep moving forward you know so listening to you all is helpful for me because you know i'm kind of right in the the thick of it right now violet's you know she's still going through healing having of course the triggers and the things that get her emotional for me it's i wouldn't say it's the reset button but you know i'm back at work i'm doing these things that kind of get me back into my state of mind and what i feel like my new normal is volunteering you know doing this thing with mohal and and trying to figure out what madison's legacy is for us has been my outlet to heal so yeah i think it's like straight up like emotional warfare yeah. You know, you're there. You're like, you're like seeing yourself outside your body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're like, you know, you're there. You're kind of looking down, like from a third, per- third yeah, person perspective. You know, like, like, I, I was like at the gym when Brittany called me. You know? She came home. She, she was like, yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, I haven't really felt her that much. I was like, oh, I'm sure it's fine. You know, and then it was, I was like, well, I'm going to go to the gym if you feel like you want to go. And, and so about halfway through the gym, she's like, yeah, I think I want to go to the hospital. I was like, all right. About halfway there, she's like, can you please speed up? Oh, I was like going the speed limit and um, I could tell she was pretty worried, which not being in the medical field, like you don't really think of stuff like that, or at least I didn't. I said, well, look, why don't I'm going to drop you off and I'll go park because I could tell she was like frantic at that. I mean, by the time we got there, God, man, I just remember walking in and it was just like, you know, I could tell the people were like having a hard time with the ultrasound. I just remember thinking, like, it reminded me of, like, an animal caught in, like, a trap. The way that she was, she was, like, looking at me. Like, her eyes were, like, flickering, you know? Like, how can I get out of this trap? And it just freaked me out. I was just like, what, what is going on? I guess the woman that was doing the ultrasound, I guess maybe it was the doctor or whatever. She just turned around, and I could just, as soon as she, I looked at her, I was like, oh, my God, like, what, what's wrong? And, and Brittany just kept saying, what is wrong? What's going on? What's going on? That woman started shaking her head, and I was like, oh, my God, what is going on? At that point, I just remember feeling like I was like outside the room and like looking in on it. Yeah. Like it was like a movie or something. It was so weird. And I just remember thinking like, you just got to like hold her hand. Like it was almost like I was telling myself, hold her hand, tell her it was going to be okay. And it was like, I just kept doing that because I didn't really know what else to do. It's, um, it's tragic, man. It, it's, um, yeah. Our situation is kind of similar, you know, like we had the, uh, the checkup, they were measuring the baby, they were real quiet. We, we kind of sensed that there's something wrong. Once they gathered and talked to the other doctors, they brought us in and basically the, the one phrase that comes to mind that just rings over and over is Madison has a, a condition that's incompatible with life. 
And so it was just kind of like, wow, like what now? Then what you said, Chris, and kind of how, you know, you were taking care, holding her hand and and doing these things. I mean, that kind of just leads right into the next question. How did you guys handle caring for your wife, your family, either before, during, after our situation, we had a before. So like once that happened, you know, we had time to prepare and figure out and kind of go through that. But if it's just during or after, what did that look like in your world? And how did that impact you guys? I just remember thinking, you cannot be that guy. You cannot not be there. And so whatever she needs, if it sounds silly, just do it. And if she wants to go see Eden a hundred times a day, drive down there. You know, we spent more money to put her in Fulcher because I knew it was closer. Um, so we did that. So I, I'm like, I supported her in the ways that I could. I've grown enough to where it's like, look, I don't really want to talk about it, but I probably know you want to talk about it. So if you want to go outside by the pool and just like, I'm good with that. So our situation was... I would say abnormal for most being that we, we had uh, max hope all the way until the end. Um, Holland was on bed rest for, uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm getting this number wrong, but it's like five or six weeks in the hospital after her water broke and the baby is still viable. And, um, we, we were just hoping to make it, you know, farther along to, to give him a chance. And the day we got transferred down to um, downtown to the pavilion, you know, we, we received pretty great, you know, report from this uh, high-level OB-GYN down there. And I don't know that, that we could have been more ecstatic and, and hopeful, you know, throughout the last, you know, prior to that month and a half, because we had reached the point where he was viable at that time. Otherwise, they would not have transferred us down there. Long story short, they were doing regular checks on him. Uh, they had a lot of residents down there, so a lot of lot of things to do. And the last check, he had dropped his heart rate, and so we they assumed a, uh, like a nuchal cord type situation where the cord was wrapped around his neck. So we went uh, for emergency section, and they had prepped Holland, and she went all the way to sleep, so general anesthetic, and did the section and brought the baby out. And Carter's gases were really good, meaning um, he looked really good coming out of the womb and you know oxygenation and um, they brought me back into the operating room and they had already started resuscitating meaning you know trying to trying to keep him alive they gave him several rounds of uh, epinephrine and he was he's not really responding so i made the decision to to withdraw care you know hall and i had uh, spoken about it multiple times we didn't think it was fair to do that to someone, uh, you know, continuously try to revive knowing the uh, overall outcome is uh, not really compatible with life. And so I withdrew care. Holland woke up within 30 minutes uh, after that. And it was just a, a really, really difficult time just because, you know, she was coming out of the anesthetic and uh, we had the baby, baby Carter there with us. And um, it was just us at that point. And her parents came down you know, within the hour, I would say. And it was just, it was just difficult. All that hope, you know, kind of climbing and then for it just to abruptly stop, you know, as is, I think everybody's story is relatively similar. So it's all, it's all tragic and, and all abrupt. I could see how women have PTSD. Like I, like I'm not big on like empathy, but like I, I fast learn like, oh, okay. She and I just don't handle emotion the same way. She's very, not necessarily out in the open with emotion, but she she just has had so much emotion, like, you know, shoved on her without choice. She has to deal with it. And I just feel like she deals with it really well, all things considered. I know that she could, you know, I think you have two choices. You could either continue to live, continue to thrive, and in, in these three women's cases, uh, continue to help other people. And I think that's the right way to go as opposed to had I been left to my own vices, you know, as I'm sure many other people, you know, you choose maybe the wrong road. And I think they are great examples of, of the right way to do it, you know, help others as opposed to, you know, breaking yourself down because it's nothing, nothing we've done or they've done, you know, to, to cause the situation. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll take a little bit more of the functional approach to the question, but man, one of the the things that's hard to get used to is just the crying all the time. And I know we're kind of doing this for the benefit of, of 
guys that are just going through this now, but I, I guess one thing to say is that it's okay to just sit there and and not say anything and just be there. And whether it's a hug or just sitting next to or sitting in the same room, I can't tell you how many nights those first two weeks we got home where didn't have the TV on, the kids were at the grandparents' house, and we sat in the living room. It was January, so we had the fire going, and that's all it was. No maybe some music playing, but just crying, man. And just, not me, but Anna crying. Uh, we'd have her sister or brother-in-law come over and everybody just, it's, it's silence, but nightly for weeks. And then randomly you're making sandwiches in the kitchen. And then all of a sudden it's just like a, out of nowhere, you know, whatever the trigger might be. It's just getting used to that crying. And I think ultimately just learning how to be okay sitting in it. You want to say something so bad and you want to, uh, Justin, you brought it up earlier. You want to be the, the protector and kind of the the writer of the ship as the husband and kind of the leader of the family. And, and you want to direct things and kind of make everything right. And in this situation, there's, there's nothing you can say. You just got to kind of be in it. Take that one step further. I think you brought up how does the family cope or how do you help with the family? One of the big things we did was, I know I actually would send out an email and just say, Hey, Hey everybody. Hey family. These are the, these are some of the triggers lately. Here's some things you can say. All you need to do is say, I'm sorry. I understand. You don't need to go into a spiel. It's or beyond that. Hey, we're probably not going to come to, um, these certain events just because it's a lot. And normally we would be there, but it's not that normal year in, and you brought up the firsts and it was a big deal for us leading up to the holidays and just reaching out ahead of time and setting your boundaries and your limits with the family. So they understand where you're coming from ahead of time, as opposed to you get with a bunch of people and all of a sudden you leave the party early and everybody's like, what the hell? Why'd you leave the party early? And, and getting pissed off about that or, or, you know, those are harsh words, but uh, it's okay to kind of set those boundaries ahead of time. And those were some helpful things for us. Yeah, I think the biggest challenge, and me and Brittany have had <laughs> multiple conversations about this where I've told her, hey, but like uh, when we would go, when we went to St. Thomas, it's like, look, it's okay for you to be happy, right? Where I think sometimes they feel like it's Christmas, I'm happy, I shouldn't feel happy. Shame on yeah. me for being happy. That's a great point. And I would get so pissed because I'm like, no, like, it's Christmas time. It's like the one time of the year, like end of the year, work's easy. But because some of the stuff they've like preemptively like, it's Christmas, I'm going to feel horrible. It's like, look, if you feel horrible on Tuesday, great. But don't tell yourself you're going to feel horrible on Tuesday. Yeah. But you saying that doesn't do anything. All it does is create an issue. And so a lot of it's just communicating. It's, hey, if you feel horrible, great. But don't feel horrible about not feeling horrible. You know what I mean? And so it's just that, like, just be in the moment. If it's a great moment and the kids are happy and we're happy, just be in it. No one's ever going to be like, cannot believe you were happy the Christmas after Eden passed. No one's ever going to say that. So, like, stop feeling bad about you being happy, you know. But it's okay to be the voice of reason sometimes. Now, if it's super fresh, don't even. But, you know, at some point, it's okay. Hey. It's okay to be sad, like, but let yourself be happy, you know? That's a good, you bring up a good point. Everybody's got that. And you, Mike, you may have some insight to this where you're at now. Um, I know it's super fresh, but at what point do you like, do you start not, I guess, putting your foot down and, and saying, saying those kind of things, right, Chris, of, because like, it's very touchy early on. And oh. It's very like, you don't yeah. want, you take their lead. You take their lead. Yeah, their we're not lead. rocking the boat. But at some point, when when do you? When's it appropriate to say snap out of it? And I'm sure we all thought that very early on at some point. But yeah, you know, it's a tough call. It's 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 hard not to. Well, I will it. tell you. So I'm I'm 42, and me and her pretty much talk to somebody once a week. And I think that's what it took. Mm. So my thing was get a third party to say snap. <laughs> well, it's no, no, it's, no, it's, no, um, sure. it's, it's more of, I know this, this conversation is going to be difficult. Like let's, let's put a pin in this and let's talk to Carrie about it. That way that third party's going, well, you know, Chris is trying to say in his own way, because if you don't have that, the voice of reason or somebody that's kind yeah, of like, just that third like, party, like, it's yeah. how dare you, you know what I mean? It's like, it's not like it's keeping anybody in check. Cause I'm not trying to say keep anybody in check. Cause it's, it's not that kind of situation, 
But there are times where I'm like, this is not healthy. You know, I mean, they're going to kill me once they listen to this. <laughs> um, there's been times where I've told Brittany, like when they, like when the girls first started this, because some of our worst days after the fact, or when she would come home and y'all can, y'all can back me up if, they, if your girls ever say this, but like where they come in and they go, well, Moha understands. <laughs> and you're like, well, fuck y'all pat each other on the back and, and, and of course, like, of course y'all, you know, it's you against the guys kind of thing where it's like, nope. Moha gets it, Chris. I can't believe you don't. And it's like, well, that's because you're three women that have gone through the same thing. Like, and so if, when they first started this, I started thinking, is this a good idea? <laughs> because it's like, if it's a group of alcoholics, somebody's got to be like, we got to go to a meeting, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so it's, there's times where she'll say that, and I'm like, look, I'm glad you were there for each other. But at some point, one of the friends has to say, look, is this appropriate the problem is in this situation nothing's appropriate or not or, or everything's not appropriate and everyone's different so yeah, whatever's appropriate so, you know like what's that timeline how do you have that conversation how do you not be an insensitive man you know going through that yeah i mean i'm a fixer so to your point jeff if there's something wrong i want to fix it right and so it took me a lot of learning to be quiet and to be there and just to find a way to support, but the analytical, you know, kind of, okay, like this is why you feel this way. Like if you do this, if you do this, like logically you can move into this space. Like you should be like, you should be here instead of where you're at here. And I quickly found out that that's not the <laughs> I was right gonna say, way. You, yes. That was a great day for you. <laughs> you know quickly. Yeah. Like that, so that absolutely does not work. It's a at great all. point, though. When uh, that's a fantastic point. I remember plenty of times when there's there's a lot of anger involved too, right? You know, it's not. I bring up crying. I've brought up crying a lot, but like there's a lot of anger involved, and you know whether that be at God or a doctor or wh- whoever, or, you know, the husband. There's just it just comes along with it. But there's so many days when you know, Anna would just be, I could tell she's just seething and sitting in the living room and I'm like, okay, looking around like, yeah, the house is a mess. I'm going to go run around. I'm going to clean it all up. Oh, she wants this project done. I'm going to go do it. And I'm just so busy running around the house, fixing things or doing things that really she just like wanted to sit down for a few minutes and have a, not even have a conversation like I was saying earlier, but just sit down for a few minutes. Just be and, present. Just, yeah, just be there. Just kind yeah. of be there. Yeah. Yeah. That, that takes a long time to shoot that's a problem in like any regular marriage that hasn't gone through this but it, it's amplified i think and i struggle with it every day yeah i mean if holland comes to me with a problem i'm gonna give her my this opinion yeah. and the correct this is what you need to do the right way to do it and she's not asking what what i think she should do she's asking me to listen support so that's very difficult to do for a guy for most guys i think you know if you ask me like or tell me a problem i'm gonna you know like you said mike and give you a solution. And it'd be one thing too, if it was approached to say, Hey, I'm feeling this way. I just want you to listen. Okay. Like you set the expectation. I know what to expect. Cool. Like I'm, I'm here, I'm here for you. I'm listening, but it doesn't happen like that. Right. So, you know, your first instinct is I need to do something to make her feel better or say something that helps her heal or get through this moment. And then that's not what she wants. And that's why this this whole, all of our situations are so, like, they feel so abnormal is because we are just not used to this emotional role that you have to take on. Like you have, like Chris said, you can't just continue on. You have to stop and and be that support system. You have to learn some new skills. You have you to absolutely learn. absolutely do. Yeah. And it's well, definitely. You have to acknowledge, you acknowledge it, right? Like Chris, you said, you're not a crier. You're not a super emotional guy but you learn to acknowledge that that's a big piece of it and figure and out i still way. struggle like yeah. big time yeah there's times where i'm like god i, I feel horrible because i'm like making myself do something like I, I guess my thing going back to is if you're mid-20s and you're married and you don't figure this out quick i can see how marriages go crazy i can see how people go i'm not putting up with that shit this chick's crazy 
you know, I, I can see it. And so my thing was at some point, man, you gotta, you, you just gotta step up. None of us really, not that we don't want to, but it's like, we're not, we're not built like that. We're not women. You know, we're not moms. We're not like, Oh God, come give me, you know, it's like, you know, like you said, we're fixers. The first thing you have to realize real fast, cause I'm an engineer and it was like even harder is you ain't fixing shit. You might as well just sit back, watch the movie, be there when she needs you. And at some point, you're going to go somewhere and she's going to laugh or she's going to smile and you're going to be like, okay, I think, I think we can start moving forward a little bit. One step, right? But it's still, yeah. and, it and then you weird. take two steps back well, and then yeah, you got to go. And yeah. Weird is you'll have that week and then Friday comes along and it's like, oh God, she's been crying all day. God, right before the weekend, really? Couldn't we have done this like on Tuesday? If you're the guy listening to this, you're not fixing nothing and, and don't try to fix it. Yeah, if you try to fix it, it's gonna, for me, yeah, it's if you try be. to fix it, you're actually breaking some stuff and creating a bigger mess that you're going to have to kind of yeah. handle and work on. So. I, I did learn to ask, like, just ask, hey, do you, are you mad because <clears throat> the house is a mess or are you, do you just need some time? Like, yeah. Yeah. If you can, I mean, it took me forever to figure that out, but just ask, like, what, what can I do right now? Can I, can I do something or do you just need me to sit here? Yeah. Yeah. Let's move on to a little bit more about you all and you guys. Two-part question. So kind of who did you turn to or what did you turn to early on in those low moments? And then kind of coupling that with self-care, you know, what, what activities and what other things have you done to kind of, you know, make sure that you're healthy mentally, emotionally, physically, you know, your well-being. What have you guys done around that? Yeah, I think um, I have to go back to one of the things me and Brittany was talking to a therapist on was Brittany had mentioned, you know, when, I, when I'm watching TV and I see the Pampers commercials and, and some of the stuff that's brought up in that is in, in those conversations. It's funny because it's stuff that maybe Brittany hasn't even thought of or I haven't thought of. And, and so she goes through this like spill of like, oh, I see the Pampers and I think of Eden and I'm like, never once has that crossed my mind. Like it's genuinely never crossed my mind. Like I don't, I don't see a thing about a baby and think, oh my God, Eden. It just doesn't happen. If I was to say it, it would be manufactured and I would have to be, you know, playing a part. But it just doesn't. And so I think after hearing that, she was just like, it wasn't really a light bulb moment, but it was one of those scenarios where it just goes to show you how different we are. Where I mean, the only time that I ever thought like, oh my God, was about a month afterwards, I had to go to Denver for a sales, like like a sales training thing. And it was the first time seeing all my coworkers. So of course, everybody asked. And you know, you're telling that story 50 times. And they all gave to like our train, like the mill train thing. And so I felt like I needed to kind of go above and beyond with just and on top of that, of course, I had presentations and the sales thing. And I'm all like Johnny Salesman. And I remember going back at one point and, and all the guys were going to like a tequila bar. And for like the first time ever, I was like, I'm just going to chill in the room. I just remember telling Brittany, like, I'm so, I'm, I'm trying to think how I put it. It was just like, I'm so, like, like I'm so spread out. Like I just, I felt like one more thing I was just going to break. And it was just because it was so fresh. And because I hadn't really thought about it. And all these people were asking about it. It was like me having to talk about it. It was like bringing me back. And there was one, at one point I had to give up, do this like 30 minute presentation. And I, I could tell like I was on the verge of crying because somebody like just asked about her. And when I got done with that, I just remember thinking like, I can't keep doing this today. Like I'm, I'm in a break. And even being like non-emotional, I can just tell I was like spread thin, man. It, I just couldn't. But I think it was like a, not really a come to Jesus moment, but I think when I told Brittany, I remember her saying something like, I'm so glad you told me because I felt alone. And I was like, you're not alone. I just don't, you know, like. It didn't hit you till it hit Well, like, you, I don't right? really, like, I don't cry. Like, I've tried. I, I, I did once. But it was like, you know, like, I wish I could, I think, sometimes. You well, know? you know, to that point, like, I'm not a crier. I cried during a few episodes during, you know, our our experience. But then to your reset button, after a certain point, I felt like I was incapable of crying again. And so it was almost like I kind of questioned myself, like, is this normal for me? You know, like, should I be crying or more emotional? And it's not that 
I wasn't emotional. I think, you know, I, I carry the emotions and I have all that, but I don't break down and cry since those few moments. And now I'm kind of like in this mode where I got, I got a mission. I got things to do. I got, I, you know, I got to keep her memory alive. I got to go help other families. I got to go do my job. You know, that's kind of what I deal with. I think you almost don't even know you're at that stretch, that thinned out point till you're there, right? Like, yeah. You take on a lot, you know, I think the ladies can kind of like, they like know it's coming or they know they're stressed out. Whereas to me, I'm like, like at work, I'm, I'm kind of, yeah, I'll help. I'll help. I can do that. I'll meet that deadline. I'll meet that deadline. Yeah. You need something. I got it. Plus at home and you're just like taking it all on. And then all of a sudden it's like, boom. Oh shit. That's not, I'm here. I got it. That's too much. And it, it hits you. I think it just hits quicker, but uh, I think the question, you know, what did you do to cope, uh, self-care? I think some of the easy answers are obviously like exercise, right? Like, Chris, thank you. You ride bikes. And yeah. there were a lot of times I brought up the living room. I remember being at the house. And again, the kids were at the grandparents. We're fortunate enough to have a lot of family help around. There were times when, you know, I'd be sitting there for, we'd be sitting there all morning. And then all of a sudden, it's just kind of like, I get stir crazy don't want to necessarily leave the house, but look at Anna and say, are you going to be okay for a few minutes by yourself? Like I need, I, like I'd go into the bedroom, put my headphones in, in the bedroom, turn the music up loud yeah. and like do some push ups, sit ups and just kind of like zone out, just yeah. zone yeah. out. Yeah. Like I need to release some energy. I don't want to, I don't need to be gone for an hour and a half or two hours. Um, the other thing I'd say, Anna's sister was fan phenomenal. Um, our parents were phenomenal helping us with uh, funeral arrangements and, and a sister, just all kinds of things that she helped with. Um, so I bring that up to say if, if there's a doer in your family and, you know, somebody that's willing to help and that you've relied on before, you know, that can just go out and get things done. Do not be afraid to reach out to that person and just ask for help. Um, there's going to be enough on your plate to, to handle and to deal with and and you're going to be doing plenty of things that if you know it's all the extra stuff meal coordinating or whatever it is in your early stages or even your late stages just ask for help I think that's a hard thing that a lot of guys don't want to do and that's one thing that you know we were just fortunate to have close family that was able to help but if you have that at your fingertips yeah use it and don't be afraid to people it's also what gives people, people want to help. And in this situation, there's a lot of people that have no idea what to do. So the moment you say like, I need this, they'll, I mean, you'll get it done. And it, God, we had the meal train thing. Yeah. The meal train. We yeah. had, we had some people help with, man, you know, it was like a house. month of, you know, it was like a good way to of people coming in, not staying for too long, but just, Hey, we made this. And I don't even know stuff like that existed. And it was um, and, I, and I didn't know how helpful and supportive it was. Like if you, if, if I didn't know, and you just told me this concept of a meal train, like, okay, like that's, that's cool. But like being in the moment and having that or having people donate for Uber Eats or, you know, DoorDash and just, you know, taking a little bit off of it's, our plate it's there. It's one decision you don't have to make or yeah. one thought you don't have to just deal with yeah. every day. Yeah. It's a big deal. You know, because when you're when you're in that moment and not having to worry about dinner, it's so so. Anybody that's listening, you have a friend that is going through some stuff. Set up a meal train, you know, and you'd be amazed that people get on and and just donate or donate meals or even if you can't make a meal. And we would have people DoorDash, uh, um, uh, you know, Mexican food or any whatever, and it was just amazing, man. It really just really was. Say yes if people are asking, you know, I think those are the moments when just accept the help, yeah. mm -hmm. accept the help graciously and it'll, you'll remember it and they'll feel good about it. You'll feel good yeah. about it. I know it's hard to, you always want to say, no, we got it. We got it. But I think for anybody that <laughs> that's a huge thing early on is if somebody offers to help, just, just say yes. And yeah. Just, and I don't even just, know what it was. I was like, oh. And just communicate or talk because, I mean, sometimes I didn't know what to ask for. 
right? Like I didn't know what help to ask for. And I think on the other side, the person that wants to help, they want to help, but they don't know how and and what you need or because they haven't experienced this, you know, or something similar, they don't know what to do. So the, the common thing is I'm here if you need me. And, but if you, you know, if, if you give them a task or, you know, a request or, Hey, you know, this is something we need, or it would be nice. I think that you would get that support pretty quick. So. Yeah. And if, and if you're a friend listening to this, it's okay not to know what to say. You know, some of my best friends from back home were just like, dude, you know, I don't know what to say, but I'm here for you. And it's like, that's, that's all I need, man. And just an acknowledgement. Yeah, right? just, I, I just, think I think what happens is, look, to be honest with you, nobody knows what to say because as husbands, we don't know what to say at the time, and we're in it. So it's 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 naive to think, oh God, I can't believe that people haven't said anything. You know, it's like, well, what do you want them to say, babe? You know, it's like I don't know what to say at the time, and I'm with you. You know, and so it's it's there's times where like you almost feel like the referee, where it's you're kind of like calming them down, you know, because your one group of friends haven't said something that you think they should say but i think just reaching out and hey you know there's nothing to say but if and can we help text or whatever you know whatever it's you know it's okay just to say i got your back you don't have to say much just do what you and, and you talk about work and that's that's important too because you know fortunately for for us you know i think both of our work families were really supportive and and kind of did right by us right like take the time. What do you need? What else do you need above and beyond what, you know, any corporate policy, you know, mandated for something like that, right? It was real people like helping someone in need as opposed to a company saying, Hey, you, you get three days for a bereavement. Right. And so, you know, there might be some of you all that don't have that type of work environment or relationship. So, you know, you got to navigate through that and, and, you know, those relationships and those friendships and, and, and the peer group can be a, a good support group as well, you know, and if, if, if not, then, you know, there's, there's other avenues of being able to navigate through that and take care of that. But, you know, you gotta, you gotta go and, and seek, you know, any assistance or support at that point, you know? And that's why they have like FMLA and all that. Like, don't, you know, if it's, you know, if you, even if you're working for a company that won't let you off or, you know, granted, you know, my, I didn't really take off, take off, but my, my, my family kind of, you know, I mean, my work family kind of knew that I was going to be out of commission for a hot minute. But you know, if you're at a, if you're at a place that is requiring you to come back too soon, like you don't want to lose your job either because you come back and you're insane, you know? So just look, Hey, not, not in the right headspace. You know, what, what's up with, um, FMLA, like, maybe some short-term disability, whatever it needs. Yeah. The good thing is recently where it it seems like there's a bit of a push about like mental health. Yeah, very much so. I think because of COVID and people just kind of like losing it, but it just seems where even with our company, it's just you get more mental health awareness, mental health awareness. And so it's, I think it's where in the past, right, you know, people were maybe worried about like, oh God, what are they going to think? You know, it's like, look, man, this is what I'm dealing with. Like, I don't need to see customers. I just need some time off. What what needs to happen for that? And and another reason to ask for help, right? I mean, that's another avenue to go research or go find, you know, uh, someone in the company, HR, whoever, ask for help, ask to understand you know, what your options are so that you can, you know, take care of yourself and then take care of your family. Yeah. How was your situation with work? <laughs> not to, not that don't throw anybody under the bus, obviously, but I'm just kind of curious. I, I um, I've been known to work a lot, <laughs> so I just kind of went back into it. But they were they were as flexible as, as as you could you could ask. I know the day that Holland ruptured, you know, I, I left work and and I think I stayed with her a couple of days, and we decided, you know, it, it looks looks okay uh, for now. Went back and and started working, and then when Carter delivered. Um, I know I, I did take some time off. I, I don't recall exactly how long. Um, but I would say as far as coping goes, I, I feel like our immediate family was um, was for sure available and, and extremely help, helpful. Um, Holland's parents were awesome and her sister and, 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 my, and my mom. Um, 
But I, I feel like uh, if, if someone could reach out to pastoral care, I feel like they um, deal with a lot of loss, you know, generally not, not, not premature children and, and, th- and those things, but just overall, they deal with a lot of death and sometimes they have uh, better words, you know, than, than others. Because, you know, the, I think the, the question that everybody ends up asking is why, and um, I don't think any of us have that answer because it, it doesn't make sense, you know. So I would say to anyone who's, who's struggling to cope, um, maybe reach out to some kind of, some kind of something, pastoral care, church. Yeah, that's a really good point, Justin. Some, some of our earliest meetings were with the deacon at the church and um, just some really fantastic kind of, I guess, words of wisdom. And, you know, you brought up uh, seeing Carter in heaven and, and there's a lot of questions surrounding that. And um, everybody has different beliefs, obviously. But I think just like you said, pastoral care and those are the guys that have funerals and you know, bury people all the time and maybe not your specific situation, but just the feelings of loss in general and, and starting that grieving process. It's, it's a really good point. Yeah. You can't, you can't exclude kind of that spiritual aspect of your healing, right? I mean, you have your, your mental, your physical, your emotional, but, but spiritual kind of encompasses all of that, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think, like I said, I think the burning question is why, like, how could this possibly like happen? There's no, it's like so unjustified. Like it's, it's, I mean, I don't know. So many, hard, hard to put in words. Yeah. So many of our situations and, and the situations of the listeners, there's never an answer. That was our case. Never found an answer. And I, I, I'm aware that a lot of the cases you don't ever really find out exactly what happened or what the actual cause was and, and some, like, sometimes even at do. that point though, like why, like, yeah. like why me? Like why us? Like why my child? You know, it's uh, it's frustrating. So we're coming up on the last question. This last one is just really kind of, you know, where you're at today and moving forward, you know, what, what, how has this experience changed you compared to before? And, you know, whether that's interactions, whether that's work, whether that's family, um, marriage, I mean, pick whatever you want from that question, but how has it changed you? I think I've always been a firm believer in what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And as anybody that's married knows that the more things that you weather and grow from, it's just, it's a benefit. I think once you make it through this, there's really nothing else it's like, what else could God throw at you? If at any point you're wondering, God, could or should we be together? You make it through this and you end up on the other side, like you're together. There's times where me and Brittany would tell each other, like, man, it's really, you know, me and you against the world. And, you know, when your woman's got your back, like that's the best feeling. You know, it's like, let's let's do this. And so I think once once you go through this, you know, I hate to say it, but it's going to make or break you. If it doesn't break you, then you will always be different. Your wife, and I think that's the thing that I was trying to tell my my best friend back home is your wife or significant other or spouse or partner, whatever you want to call them nowadays, they'll never be the same. They're not the same person that you met and they will never be that same person. But there's life with the person after that. And it's, it's deeper because you've been through this ordeal. I think me personally really having to do like self-evaluations was it, it just made me grow up more where, you know, I've always tended to be the, the funny guy or the joking guy, just cause I think there's too many serious people in this world, but you can't do that in a situation and make it out. You know, you have to not only grow up, but just, Hey man, it's not a joke. Cause I'll joke when I'm upset, but at the same time, there's life after you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I think as the, you know, as the guy, there's a few things you got to do. Balance that equation as best as you can without flipping the boat over. Be in there. Being open when you're to your limit. You know, hey, I, I, I need to zone out. So I think being there when you need, need them, you know, need you. And not rushing them through it. You're going to want to rush them through it because it sucks. And that's just not, not going to happen at some point, And like to the, to the people listening to this is it's going to feel like a thousand years away, but at some point you're going to wake up and be like, we made it through the worst thing ever. And your job is to help them survive. Yeah. 
That's it. Point. So yeah. Yeah, and I can, you know, from from our point of view, being uh, six years uh, past Carter's birthday, you know, I know that I have someone in Holland that you know I, I can't imagine a situation we wouldn't make it through. Like it's infallible. Like the situation we already went through is is nothing you would ever you know dream up you know for your worst enemy. So just knowing that not only do I have her but her family and my family and so that makes it uh, that much easier and just the just the idea of how close uh, she and I have become pretty inseparable I know day to day she may may say otherwise but I think just take one day at a time to the to the folks who are listening and you know be there and not have all the answers and and just listen that's it's really the only like really positive best advice I can say six years out no one's perfect you're not going to be perfect and and just accept that. Yeah, I think I think one of the biggest things that comes out of it is there's just not another situation that is as traumatic, right? So you go through life, whether it's at the office or at home, you're still going to get stressed. You're still going to get feel stressed. But like these day-to-day interactions, if your boss is yelling at you or you have a deadline, there's just this like, well, this isn't significant in the scheme of things, right? Like we, I've been through something way worse and whatever happens if I miss this deadline or yeah, yell at me, man, I, I know I screwed up or, or I didn't screw up. Yell at me. It's fine. I don't like, I can take it. It, it, it ends up making you stronger in the most screwed up kind of way, but Dude, it, it just makes everything that's else the very point. insignificant. That's the point. So I will say, I wonder how many people that go through this have like, early midlife crisis. I just, I I thought, I just thought about my boys so much, man. God, you know, I'm in Seattle or somewhere for a week and I'm just like, God, and I'm missing a week with my boys. It just changes you, man. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I would say that's probably the biggest thing that happened to me was just, it literally made me go, Oh my God, am I doing the right? Am I doing what I want to do? And then of course we're all kind of stuck doing what we're doing. It's just so specialized, but it's like, God, I wanted to build cars, you know, when I was (laughs) 18 yeah but it's still it's like puts it in perspective right see for me it was um i'm just in a different space you know i'm just in a different space when it comes to work when it comes to you know just everyday interactions and i find myself direct i don't beat around the bush too much i mean i i I value time a little bit better i don't take things for granted maybe that subconsciously i might have in the past and like Jeff said, there, there's there's not much you're going to say to me that's going to rile me up, right? Like, I've been through the worst. Yeah. I'm experiencing the worst. Like, you're, you're not going to impose something manufactured to me that trumps anything that I've been through, you know? And so I find myself being able to handle some of those situations differently and better, I think, than I did before. And then from a just a relationship standpoint to your point, Justin, I think me and Violet are closer, you know, we, we've always been close, you know, but I think this is just a whole different level of love and respect and just seeing what she went through and just being able to understand like, yeah, there's, there's kind of like you said, I mean, ride or die, we're there, we're there for each other and we can, we can tackle anything else that comes in front of us. And then I keep reminding you know for the listeners you know i keep reminding her because you know when you get your triggers and no matter what the time frame is whether it's six years whether it's eight months you're going to get into a trigger you're going to get into a moment and it's going to feel like right back where you were when all of it happened and you're going to feel a little helpless and hopeless but you look at the grand scheme of things and i look at where i'm at today and where violet and, and and us where we're at compared to what we were in December, you know, or even November when we found out what was going to happen, there's progress, you know, and you might not see it, you might not feel it, but, you know, if you just kind of take that 5,000 foot view and say, hey, objectively, where we're at today compared to where we were at eight months ago, it, it is significant, you know, but you don't, you don't feel like that. So hopefully that helps anyone listening you know that progress is it it can be slow and it can it can be you know kind of under the radar but you get a chance to kind of take a larger view of it you know you might be surprised of what you've been able to do and accomplish because it's amazing her strength you know i think all the all the women all the wives their strength 
to, to handle this is just amazing. And yeah, I think I went to dinner with Mike and Violet and I could tell where like her emotions were still pretty raw on certain things. And I just remember thinking, Oh, I remember that when I left, I thought even me being through all of this, I wanted so bad to be like, guys, it gets better. You know what I mean? Like that, like cheesy, like, it get, and you know, when you're in it, people would tell Brittany that and I could just, I was like, oh, well, she loves her in that. You know what I mean? It's like, of course it gets better, dumbass. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, I think that's why this, this thing's good because, you know, there are people that have went through what you're going through and just having some drinks or a dinner or whatever and just being able to vent with people that, that aren't not just going to judge you, but just, just know, man, you know, it's like, there's nothing that you're going to say. that's going to upset us because we've been there. So, yeah, I will say this is honestly, I think it's the first time in three years that I've sat around the table with drinks and just like (laughs) hashed it it out with guys that have gone through it and had, had a couple offers and most of the time, I mean, not that I've needed it, but I've enjoyed it. So I appreciate you guys all sharing parts of your story and, and all that stuff. So to the guys listening, we've got some macho dudes in here and <laughs> like we're all I don't know. It's been it's been good. So I I appreciate it and it's been a it's been a good couple hours just chatting with you guys. So. Yeah, it was definitely easier than I thought. Yeah. I was so nervous at first. I was like, oh God. Yeah. When Brittany asked us to do it, I was like, oh, that's y'all's gig. They're Mohawk greeting in the beginning. Every time I hear it, I think they're all like Thundercat Ho, you know? We're the girls from Mo. I just imagine them like punching a, a wall or something together. But well, I guess what we'll do is I'll, I'll close it out. You know, I really appreciate all of you guys sharing your story, being uh, honest and raw and open. Um, you know, for the listeners out there, you know, we hope that this conversation and some of the things that you know we discussed today is gives you some some level of hope, and you see others that have gone through it. Um, you know that there's people out there that can support and can help and can assist, you know, reach out, shoot a, shoot a message to the podcast. If you need anything from the fathers. I think you know, all of us would be uh, more than willing to, to lend any sort of support or help that we can. Yeah, uh, for sure. For Feel free to reach out. Hope this was a help and they're a resource for a resource, whatever you need. So one last cheers for I have nothing. I, I drank all this. Cheers. Yeah. I mean, you guys survived. Appreciate you guys. Thank you for making it easy for yeah, the host. Thanks, thanks Mark, for uh, thank y'all. Asking, asking hard questions. So. We'd like to show our appreciation by recognizing one of our sponsors, Talus Energy. Talus aims to provide energy solutions that positively influences our local communities. Please visit our website at mohanetwork.org to find out how you can become a platinum partner today and secure a spot on our growing network.